Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. We're going we're gonna to enter into the presence of the Lord. A little illustration. There are times when, um, I, when I'm flying in an airplane and I, I often get upgraded to business class, so I'm right at the front and I, I get off and I get into the terminal. I can go to the, my next flight or the business lounge or whatever. But sometimes you go to some airports where you're parked out on the tarmac and you have to get on a bus and then you go to the airport from the bus. And that means it doesn't matter whether you're sitting in business class or the middle of the back, that you get on the bus and you have to wait for one another. And uh, sometimes that waiting, you know, can take a while because people are slow. Sometimes unnecessarily slow. But, you know, we it's the reality, so we make room for that. And you, you compensate by lowering your expectations. But there is a reality of that that relates to our worship in this room. That sometimes, and I was just talking about some, this to somebody the other day, sometimes we come into church and we come in to analyze how the worship journey goes and we're waiting for the band or the team or the you know, that presence, that experiential thing to happen. Uh, and we're thinking, and then if it doesn't happen, we're thinking, well, I guess Ken was off today. You know, I guess the prophetic s- singers were not, you know, astute enough spiritually to... But do you know what? Do you know that we're all getting on the same bus and that bus cannot go there until it's at least three quarters full? And... uh and so what happens is we have to wait for one another, which means uh, if, if you're a team player and people are saying, hey, come on, you don't just stand outside the bus having a chat with your neighbor or the, or the suitcase holder. Or, you know, you want to get on and do your part. And so we're not waiting for somebody to provide for us an experience we wanting to step into what God is providing, because the reason we may not get there may be because you're not participating in the process. And there's something about this that I'm hoping that uh, Chris is going to share maybe in the next few weeks, that one of the things that came in revival years back was the whole idea of participation, that one of the stumbling blocks for people who would not or refuse to enter into revival is because they didn't like the idea of having to participate. They wanted, you know, things done for them. They didn't want to have to do anything. And, and yet, actually, the, the Azusa Street Revival was built on the fact that it was collective participation. And this is one of the things that God is bringing us into, that we cannot be separated from, one our, from each other. That coming into the presence of the Lord, we come in collectively. That means if you're a dead weight... You know, if three-quarters of us are dead weights and we're not really worshiping God or we're waiting for somebody to come and serve us with the presence of God, then we're dead weight, and we actually participate in hindering the whole journey for everyone. And so God is training us to say, hey, you don't have to wait. You got legs. You can get up. You can, be, you can press into the presence of God. He's calling you to worship Him. He's calling you to love him with all your strength. 
all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Can we do that this morning? Can we, is it possible for every single one of us? And I know some of you are only half listening, but uh, what if I started calling your name out? I'm talking to you. Say your name. What's your name? Say your name loud. Okay, I'm talking to you. Everybody from all the people over here to all the people over here, that you have the power to affect where we go right now. We're not waiting on the band to suddenly get anointed. The band is waiting for you to get on the bus. When there's enough, when it's full enough, then we can leave and go to the next destination. Who's ready? Father, in Jesus' name, we want to release our hearts to you today. We want to experience your presence. We want to do our part. We want to lift up our sound. We want to we want to worship you. This is one of those moments. This is one of those moments where when the disciples came to Jesus and said the people are hungry and he says to them, "You feed them. You feed them." We are at a place in our Christian life where we are beginning to supply for others. We are at a place in our Christian lives where every place your foot shall tread, I have given it unto you. And so metaphorically, we are stamping our foot on this region. We are driving out the darkness. We are the ones who are speaking to the winds and telling them to stop blowing. The winds of adversity, the winds of witchcraft, the atmosphere of depression. We are the ones, come on, right now, in Jesus' name, 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 in Jesus' name. Come on, let's, don't let go. Don't let go. Let this sound, let, let this sound cause your spirit to rise, to soar. To soar above, we declare Jesus Christ. We declare the risen Son of God, captain of the hosts, captain of our salvation. Jesus, Lord of all, King of kings, soon returning, soon returning royal. You will reign, you will reign, you will reign, you will reign. You reign over the earth. Jesus, have your glory. Jesus, be glorified. Be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in our worship. Be glorified in your sound. May your enemies be made your footstools. That every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that you and you alone are Lord. You are Lord. Jesus. Huh. Do you know when the Holy Spirit starts weaning you from milk, there's nothing wrong with milk. Milk never changes. Milk is as satisfying as it's ever been. You changed. Your needs for sustenance changed. 
nothing wrong with the milk. And I, I am so aware of the journey that we are on, both collectively and individually. And I feel right now so aware of the minds of some in this room. And I have to say it's my deepest, deepest desire for you to shift into a place of, of, of receiving the love of God, the experience of his presence, the beauty of you, who he is. But I know that some have not left focus on their own lives. You're here in the same room. And everything I say from week to week is to get you to transition, to shift. And as I watch those who are, for whom milk is losing its allure, but yet not shifting, I see a growing discontentment that I can do nothing about, only you can. And opportunity is provided week after week after week after week. And I'm just saying, shift, shift. It's not that hard. It begins with humility. It begins with simple obedience. It begins with the things I say week after week after week after week. It begins with your mouth. The victory is near you, the scripture says, even in your mouth. In your mouth. In your mouth. Not my mouth. In your mouth. James says the tongue is a little member but boasts great things talks about the destructive ability of that little member but then he says but listen he says it's a rudder and if you use your tongue to turn your direction it even though it's small it can turn the largest boats it doesn't matter how big your boat is your little tongue can shift you it can shift you the things I'm talking about are not reserved for a few. They're for every single one of us. But it begins with the tongue. Yeah, it begins with what you don't say the rest of the week, for sure. But mostly it depends on what you do say. Father, I pray that you would open our awareness to the world that is before us. I ask for breakthrough. I ask for the manifestation of revelation and knowledge in this place. I ask, Lord, that none of us would miss the destiny that lies right in front of us. God, we want to be the people, the church that you've meant for us to be. Oh, God. One of the tensions we have is this is a working church. I should write an article called The Working Church. And by that I mean we're accustomed to our educational system where you sit in a class and do nothing for at least 13 years. You know what I'm talking about? Our educational, you sit and you absorb with your mind. But some of the most productive, arguably trades or careers you can enter into are called apprenticeships. And the nature of apprenticeships is, yes, you learn, but you learn while you work. 
You find immediate application for the knowledge that's being acquired. And so what's happening is, is in the shop where you're being trained, you're being trained, but you're working. That's closer to the kingdom of God model of training that God has than the sit-down educational model. And the model that Jesus had was he was doing the work and then he was, he was teaching his disciples. He was bringing them the word and the word was at work inside of them and then he tested them. And he tested Peter by saying, who do men say that I am? And then Peter brought forth life and he said, okay, there we go. That's the product I'm looking for. You, Peter, brought forth life. The words that I speak are spirit and life. That's what you need. You know, sometimes people come here and they say, what about evangelism? When are we going to do evangelism? And I say, amen. When are we going to do evangelism? What is evangelism? Evangelism is you bringing forth life to the unsaved. I don't, I rarely have to deal with the unsaved because I'm dealing with the barely saved. The partially saved, the mostly saved, the full, you know, that's my job. You guys are meant to do out there what I do here, bring forth life. It's not enough for you to know, well, you know, in that prayer room, in that context, I did that and I brought more life. Yeah, that's great. But that's practice for when you have to do it in the moment of need. Yes, when you're encouraging a brother or a sister, when you're bringing life to a fellow believer and you're exhorting them and you're, yeah, but are you bringing life? Can you bring life where you live? Can you shift the mind of an unbelieving uh, person? Can you convince them of the truth? Can you bring something that makes them see that what you're talking about is not religion, it's kingdom? Can you do that? And we come back to, well, if you can do it here, that's a beginning. Now do it out there. The proof you can actually do it in here is you can do it out there. So this is the direction we're going. It ties into what I said at the beginning, the revival, the Azusa Street, the Pentecostal revival. One of the big stumbling stones in the early years, and uh, Chris was just telling me about this, Charles Parham. When they came into his ministry, they didn't like the participation. They didn't like having to do anything. Because that's what defined Pentecostalism at the time. You engaged. No, that's what I pay my tithes for, so I don't have to engage. No, no. You're like a golf pro paying somebody to tell you how to do it better. Your tithe is not so you don't have to do it, it's so you can do it. Amen? Let me share a little brief something. I'm just going to share for just a couple minutes, and then we're going to... We're going to have Andrea Rayner. We're going to come and share a testimony. We're going to build something off that. But um, how many of you enjoyed Christmas, just went through? You know, some people stopped enjoying Christmas a long time ago. Uh, I like Christmas, but I used to like it a lot more. And I remember very definitively the, the year when I realized there's something wrong. And one, one day, I, I just, I... I thought, there's something wrong. I'm not enjoying Christmas the way I used to. I was about 10 years old, between 8 and 10 years old. I can't remember how old I was. But I thought, something's wrong. Because I remember when I was just coming out of my skin 
wanting to open a present, and everything was magical, and it was euphoric bliss, everything. Let's open the tree. Can we put up the tree? I just, you know, the colors, the lights, the decorations, the songs, the, the toys. I mean, do you remember that day? Do you remember when you, it's like, And then it was gone. And I thought, I tried to recover it. I tried. That blissful feeling, you can't ever get again. Why? Because maturity has begun to set in. And the loss of that euphoric, blissful joy that you had there Anybody else ever remember that transition? Was it, was it that graphic for everybody? It parallels a shift that's meant to happen in your spiritual life. Where suddenly church is not doing it for you anymore, the way Christmas stopped doing it for you. You can't stay in that place of immaturity. You have to grow up. And you know what the shift is? The shift is summarized in that verse where Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my Father. And it, it, this truth parallels everything I just said about worship, everything I said about ministry and evangelism, everything we're needing to do out there. Because God is wanting you to shift. It's kind of like uh, we're going to Disneyland and Disneyland doesn't do it for me. I never went as a young, young child, but it was really fun the first time I went. But now it's fun, but not because it's fun for me. It's fun for others we get to take. And watching them and empowering that experience is the fun that I get. And by the same token, Christmas stays fun for those who make it fun for others. That's how you keep the magic. The magic changes because you create the experience for those who are still in that blissful state. Well, here's what happens in the church, is that you come in, you get saved, you start coming to church every Sunday. It's blissful. It's like, ah, hallelujah. And if it wasn't like that for you, I'm sorry. But for a lot of us, it was like that. And then we start to get dissatisfied. Why? Not because the church has gotten worse, but the Holy Spirit has decided no more milk for you. The Holy Spirit is the, is the milk Nazi. <laughs> Some of you get that. No more milk for you. And so he slowly, slowly shifts your appetite to try to draw you into something on the next level, which is it's time for you to start to have solid food. Milk is for babies. Solid food only comes by doing the will. How long can you exist trying to be satisfied with milk as you're maturing? Eventually, you die. Eventually, you waste away because of the Peter Pan syndrome. I want to stay as I was. I want to stay irresponsible. I want the magic where things just happened. As fun as that is, God has said, listen, no, I don't want you to be ignorant of why things happen. I want you to be a part of why things happen. 
And that may be hard as a transition, but it's so satisfying when you fully come into the other side and you start to realize that something on a higher level, you are imparting, or God is imparting to you the labors. He's bringing you into the understanding of the Father. You are starting to discover the whys and wherefores of the kingdom of God so that you can have the kingdom of God all the time. I'm telling you, I, I don't know how to explain it, but my spiritual life has become so satisfying, it's like Christmas every day. Every day is like Christmas for me. Now, there's still ups and downs, but in terms of what really floats my boat, the presence of the Lord, every day, every day, I have access to it. The regularity, the stability, the ease of access to it, the, ah, it's amazing. Christmas every day without using, losing the euphoria. And what's happening is the, the, the more I get into this, the, the higher the heights of that euphoria. I'm getting back what I used to have without the ignorance. Wow. Seriously. This is for you. But you have to do the same things that I did in the journey. There are things you've got to die to, things you've got to lay down, things you've got to pick up. Obedience. The small things. I mean, you remember, we all look at Naaman when he, when he was about to get healed from leprosy. And Elisha said, you know, go, go bathe yourself in the dirty river. And, he, you know, he wouldn't, didn't want to do it. And his servant said, hey, 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 it's a small thing. Just go down and dip seven times. Good grief. By the same token, when Pastor Mark stands up here and says, will you worship God? If you weren't here right at the beginning when I exhorted us to work, we stepped into something immediately. Did anybody notice that? Just, just me? Okay, everybody will notice that. Put up your hand. Truly notice that. Okay, excellent. Why did, it, why did we not have to wait 20 minutes? Because we didn't have to wait 20 minutes. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, and enough of us just stepped into that realm to carry those of us that didn't know how or weren't willing. It's for you. It's for every single one of us. Wouldn't it be tragic one day to stand before the Lord and to finally want all those questions answered? Why didn't I get to experience your love like this one and that one? Why didn't I get this? Why didn't I get that? You wouldn't dip seven times. It was right there. The keys are right there. The keys are right here right in front of you, right in front of us. So, Father, I want to say, Lord, that uh, we love you. We want, to, we want to be everything you've determined you want us to be. Everything you've given us to be, we want to become. We want to fully mature. We want to see that seed of the Word of God was put in us when we became born again, come to full maturity with all the fruit. 
So, Father, we say, make us like Jesus. Make us mature so that our food becomes the work that we do. How we serve one another in the order of your kingdom. Let that be our sustenance, Father. And I pray that very few of us can get stuck in those teenage years. Those Peter Pan not wanting to take, go forward, but can't go back years. God, we don't want to get stuck there. So, Lord, could you create a momentum in this place that makes it easier for us to step through? You know, God will never take away your choices and the responsibility you have to choose him. But sometimes he does make it easier. He made it easier on Paul when he appeared in front of him and, you know, his glory threw Paul off the horse. I like a church like that. Where there's enough of a presence to shock us, but we still realize afterwards, like Pharaoh, we can see the glory and still harden our hearts. But at least it's hard to harden your heart in the face of such overwhelming experience. But it's not just about you. It's about the world around us. That's why we need to do it. Because whether you realize it or not, you may be saved now and you're thinking, oh, this is good, I'm going to heaven. But God is making us responsible for the city around us. And the degree that you step into this, the degree, to that same degree, our city's going to be impacted. So it's not enough that we're in the door. Whew. Glad I'm saved. The, the Father's heart is, is there, and he's wanting, as a part of maturity, to say, listen, I want you to have my heart. So that you begin to actually see the world around you not as separate from you, but as who I've actually called you. The reason I got you saved is so that you can save them. And that begins with you functioning the, in the life that others have provided for you so you can provide life for others. And that's why we train the way we do. That's why I talk the way I do. That's why I hold your feet to the fire the way I do. Because I know you're not exempt. It's available. And if you don't step into this, you will at one point wish you had. And please don't think, well, yeah, I've been here a long time and it's not happening for me. May I politely say you're doing it wrong. Not wrong in the sense of, ah. Oh, there's something that needs to be shifted and only utter humility will help you discover it. We talked about that Wednesday night. I don't want to get into it. But there comes a point in your life where you're so desperate for that shift, you really, truly, finally humble yourself to those around you. And whatever it takes for us to get there, God will allow. But the keys are still all around us. 
They might be in your wife and your husband. In some of the things we're saying here, the keys are right here, right in front of us. So God's going to have an amazing army. He's going to have that. Why can't it be you? Why can't it be me? It can. That's our destiny. That's your calling. It's for you. The children's bread is for the children. Just because the dogs get some of it doesn't mean it doesn't belong to the children. It's for you. 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 So, and don't get me wrong. I, I think we're doing an amazing job. But I'm not comparing us to everybody else. I'm looking for a kind of people the Bible describes as sons and daughters of the king. That's the measure I'm looking for. I want to be that kind of Christian. I want you to be that kind of Christian. And if that's what's available, why should we settle for less? Amen? So, maybe while I'm here, I'll share one more thing. But I, I gave a little illustration in the other room. I'll try and temper it a little bit. But the knowledge of God, the goodness of God, the Bible says, taste and see that God is good. How many of you here want to taste and see that God is good? Okay, I didn't see all your hands go up, but enough that I'm going to keep going. <laughs> what, if, what if the higher levels of experiencing the goodness of God were, were invisible? What if the measure to which you experience of the God right now was the only thing you thought was possible? I get news for you. That's pretty much how we think. As a man believes in his heart, so is he. So there's a correlation between what you believe and what you've presently experienced. So I was thinking about this in the other room about hamburgers. And we can make a pizza if you like. Derek, would that be better? I love hamburgers. I'll stay with hamburgers. I love hamburgers. To me, a bad hamburger is better than most other foods. Uh, but, but of course, I know the full range of the experiences of a hamburger. And if I came from a world where there were hamburgers and there were no hamburgers or food of any sort in this world, the analogy is a little weak in some respects, but I came to you and I showed you a picture of a hamburger. And I started describing how great that hamburger is. And I somehow began to appeal to some hunger that you have that needs to be fulfilled. How satisfying is the picture of a hamburger? Not very much. All I've really done is aroused your interest to experience the hamburger. But there's another level of, of experience with my hamburger besides a picture. The second level is I can have a hamburger and you can smell the hamburger. Oh, that, that does it a little more, right? You know, you're watching TV, right? You know, you're, you're a little hungry. You see a picture of a hamburger or a pizza or something like, hmm. But somebody comes in the room with a hamburger and you smell hamburger or a pizza or something like, then suddenly that, that hunger goes to another level, right? The, the, the desperation for that goes to another level. Obviously, the final phase of this is when you actually eat a hamburger. 
You're getting the, you're not, you're getting not only the smell, you're not only getting the visual, you're getting the textures in your mouth and you're getting the flavors. But in between smelling a hamburger and you eating a hamburger is somebody else taking a bite of their hamburger, chewing it up and providing that for you. You'll stay alive, but it's not nearly as satisfying as going to the next place. You know, baby food is essentially that. Baby food is mushed food. Baby food is masticated food. It is ground. It is blended food. It is, it is cream of the food. It contains some of the flavors, but not the full experience. And God is saying, listen, I want you to go, and this is where much of the church today is stuck, is stuck in eating blended food. It's better than milk, but it's still somewhat removed from the full goodness of God. You were made to taste and see that he is good. My job is to bring you along so that you're tasting and seeing that he is good, not just by what I provide, but you specifically. Well, in other churches, they don't ask us to do anything. We're not, we don't have to... This is not other churches. And other leaders sometimes are happy to have a crowd. I don't want a crowd. I'm satisfied when I see people entering into sonship. I'm satisfied when I hear Wednesday night people praying and praying with authority and life. That's what makes me happy. That's what really, when I hear somebody begin to articulate a truth with the full breadth of the revelation, who have been here 10 years and it, it's resonating deep, and that is the truth. I tell you, I go head over heels. I rejoice, I rejoice, I rejoice, because that's the deal. It's not enough for you to be aware of what I talk about. Jesus said to them, listen, the words I speak to you are spirit and life. And his training of Peter and the apostles was, until you are bringing forth spirit and life, I am not satisfied. It begins with words, but then it goes through to everything else. How you feed the poor. How you do miracles. How you bring healing. How you walk in the fruit of the Spirit with kindness and forgiveness. That's what the world is waiting for. Not a theory not a moral code. They're waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. But it begins with you experiencing the hamburger of Jesus, the word of life. So, Father, make it so in our lives. In Jesus' name. You know, I was thinking as Pastor Mark was talking... um, I was thinking, I've studied a lot on past revivals, whether it was the days of Charles Parham and all his revivals, to the days of William Seymour and Azuzu Street, you know, to the days of uh, Pensacola revivals, to the Lakeland revivals, to the Toronto Airport revivals, to Anaheim, to all these revivals that have taken place throughout time and history. And the one key ingredient about all of them was there was active participation by the people. It was a people pursuing the king.
It wasn't one individual. And so God wants his people to pursue. And I know that's Pastor Mark's goal is to see us as a people all come to that place where we're actively just coming and pursuing the king. And as we do that more and more and more and more, we're actually going to see the shift and the change. And that's the one thing I know. When I went to Pensacola, we didn't wait for the pastors to show up. We didn't wait for the speakers to get up front. It was a people already engaging before that even took place. And they set the tone. And I mean, it was easy for the worship team because the people were already there. And that's what God wants is a people who are saying, I don't really care about the music, this, that. I just want God. And as a people will pursue the king, we're going to see something open up. And it can only do one thing. It's going to go out from here. And it's going to spread everywhere. And that's the one thing every revival did is it touched people throughout the communities and even further than that. So that is our goal, God. We want to see a revival here. But it starts with each and every one of us willing to participate in what God has in store for us. And so, Father, that's what we want to do in our hearts is we don't want to be that person who says, no, I don't want to participate. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Of course we do, God. We want to participate in everything that you have for us. And God, we want to worship you. We want to call on your name. We want to seek your face. We want to do all those things. And so, God, those days where it's just something is within us that uh, stops us from doing that, God, may we push through that. May we push past that, God. May our minds not hold us back. But, God, may we not be captive by our thoughts. But may we burst past that, God, and just get after you, God, and your spirit and what you stand for, Jesus. You know, just to follow up on that, one of the things, how many of you are familiar with the, the Toronto revival that happened a few years ago? You know, one of the, again, so distinct, because what that released is people ministering with power. I remember it's, what happened, one of the biggest characteristics is it used to be that you would have a prayer line and only the anointed man of God. You have a special speaker come in, and he would pray for people. And people kind of, you know, uh, didn't want anybody else to pray for them, mostly because nobody else could do anything. You know, uh, other people would pray, but nothing would happen. But what happened was when Toronto came, suddenly there was a release of the Spirit, and then you could be prayed for by almost anybody who'd been touched, and power came from them. And suddenly... We went from one person or a handful of people ministering uh, to uh, three-quarters of the church, able to minister on that level. So the revival is always about releasing enabling on another level. It's always about expanding the capacity uh, so that what was limited to a few is disseminated among the many. That is the effect of revival. We don't have to wait for a wave to come from heaven because what we're discovering right there in the Bible, right there in the Word, right there in the ministry of Jesus, right there in the doctrine of the apostles is all the keys for you to enter into that. And again, kind of like we say from Romans 1 about you know the unsaved are without excuse because what can be known of God is made manifest in creation what can be made known about sonship is manifest in the Word. So, let's get at her. Let's get in the Word. Let's do it. Let's, let's, uh, let's embrace the potential. Uh, let's, let's run. Let's venture.
And let me just follow this up with one thing, because Wednesday night, and I, I said something here, and I know right away somebody reacted wrong. When I say you're doing it wrong, uh, I mean we're all doing it wrong. There is no doing anything without doing it wrong. Okay? Ben's a guitar player. I guarantee you he does it wrong. But we don't notice because we're not guitar players. But if he was playing and Marco Ardron was listening to the track of Ben playing, he could point out all the things he's doing wrong. Now, does that mean he's not ministering? Does that mean he's not playing guitar? Yes. Uh, no, it doesn't mean that. It means, it means there are levels, levels of these things. And you stop where you're satisfied. And in the kingdom of God, God is saying, Sonship is available. The full manifestation of the nature of Jesus is available, but you can stop wherever you want. I've decided I don't want to leave anything on the table. Anybody who gets better at their craft decides they don't want to leave anything on the table. Anybody who wants to become a better golfer say, I don't want to leave anything on the table. Now, it may not be important in regards to cooking or playing guitar or golfing, but in terms of sonship, I think it's important. And so my whole life is becoming focused in this. I don't want to leave anything on the table. And I want you to share in that passion. You know, it's like those military commercials. Be all you can be. Hallelujah. Andrea, come on up. I just heard the other night, or last night, uh, an amazing testimony. So tell us your, the testimony. So when Vernon and I got married, uh, we did not have rings. I know it's a crazy thought. You can get married and not have a ring, but that's what we did. We couldn't afford it, and there was other things. So last year... For Christmas, he bought me a ring, and it's the first ring I've ever had and um, from him, and it's sort of our wedding ring. So, um, yeah, my life has gotten really crazy since I've gone back to school, and <laughs> I do a lot of getting to point A to point B without having any idea how I got there or what I did while I was going, and... Sometimes I'm even sitting in class, this is kind of a bad thing to admit, and I have no idea what was said the half an hour that I was sitting there. So anybody feel, anybody ever do that? Like, do you ever sit in, in, or in church, you know, and have no idea what was just said like two seconds ago? <laughs> so yeah, so anyway, because of all of that, I lost my ring. I had no idea where I'd put it, I didn't know, and I went and asked people who had been in my house for like 10 minutes, like just everybody I could think of that might have seen this ring, I asked them if they had seen it. And um, yeah, I was going really crazy looking for it, I made the boys help me, Clayton and Andrew over there, who are probably hiding. Um, and <laughs> I couldn't find this ring, so finally I admitted to my sweet husband, who only, you know, brought it up a couple times, that I had lost this ring, which was very important. And um, yeah, so I couldn't find it. And I went to sleep one night not very long ago, and I was still really upset about it. And I had a dream that I found my ring. 
So I woke up, and I, the first thing I did was jump up. I was going to go look for it, and God said, no, don't go look for it. You don't look for it right now. I want to talk to you. So I lied back down, and he said, the joy that you had in finding that ring, that's the joy you're going to have in the searching for it. And I want you to have that joy in the journey. The joy of having graduated from school is the joy I want you to have in the learning, in sitting in class every day and learning. And the joy that you will have when the book of Revelations is complete is the joy I want you to have in getting there. I told you what the result was going to be so that you could enjoy the journey and not have to worry about it. Not so you would focus on that and not pay attention to where your feet are going. And anyway, I brought, <laughs> I told a couple of people about this dream. And um, last night, my son who was helping me out, he was looking in the washer, which I had checked like two minutes earlier because the socks get stuck in the seal of our washer door. We have one of those front load ones. And I had just unclogged a bunch of socks that got stuck in there. And he did the last load for me and put it in the dryer. And as he was doing it, a sock was there or something, and he took it out, and there was lying my ring. So God brought me back my ring, which I'm very happy about. But I'm very, I'm much more happy about and excited about what's going to happen in the future and the journey of getting there. Now, that's not just a cute little story. That is a key manifestation of a biblical truth concerning the nature of faith. Faith, the Bible says, is the substance of things hoped for. Faith. Now let me focus on the, faith is the substance of. So what, what the Lord is telling her, okay, you don't have the ring yet, but I want you to be living in the joy of having the ring, though you don't have it yet. I want you to be assured that it's found, even though it's not found. I want you to be happy and at ease and comfortable with the idea of it being found even though that event is yet to transpire. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith says that this, even though this event is happening in the future, I can live right now as though I already have it. That's what faith is. So. Why, why is that important? I mean, it's, it's important on so many levels. I love the application she made about schooling because we tend to live vicariously in the future through the possible accomplishments that are yet to come, but we live not enjoying the moment, only anticipating a joy that is future. And so we never actually get to enjoy what we're in. I, I've been really guilty of that. Maybe not so much in the kingdom things, but it was really a reflection that I was, you know, that my, my lack of satisfaction in the natural was really a pointing. It was an evidence to me that my faith is, was not what I thought it was. And the Lord used that to ground me in the reality. So I remember how it used to manifest all the time, but particularly with my kids. <coughs> how many of you know kids are, are work? 
I, I, I used to always dream and think about when the kids would be not where they are now. I would think, oh, see another family and their kids, they're all out of diapers, and I, oh, it'll be so great when they're all out of diapers. And I did that with every phase. How many of you are doing that with your life right now? Maybe you're doing that with non-achievements in work. Maybe you're doing that with not having enough money. Oh, when the mortgage is paid. Oh, when I get that raise. Oh, when I get that promotion. Oh, when I don't live in Spruce Grove anymore and go down, go down to, you know, Phoenix in the winter. We, we can enjoy the moment on numerous different levels. And I remember a prophet said to me, he said, you got a spirit of flight. I said, what? Whatever. <laughs> but I knew it was true because it was, man, I did that all the time. I was, always, I was always not enjoying the process. I was only thinking of the, of the joy of the victory once I was on the other side of this. So the question is, what kind of faith do I have? How tangible is that faith? What if you could see yourself in the future? What if you could see yourself, A, that you're not dead, right? What if you could see yourself 30 years from now and you're suddenly 60 years old? Do you know that, what that means? You're not going to die for 30 years. So all those moments you used fearing you might die, not necessary, right? Hey, how about that? What if you could see your kids 40 years from now? Well, you know, well, moms, you don't have to spend all that time thinking about them dying. Well, I don't. We keep ours safe. What, what I'm saying is so much is being stolen from us because we don't believe. We don't believe. Well, how do I see the future? Faith comes by hearing. She got the dream, and the dream was the assurance. It was, the dream was a word. Okay. And, and what you need then, what you need is a word about your destiny. What you need is a word about your future. What you need is something from God that tells you that you have a destination that one day you're going to get to. And if you have that word already, then just apply due diligence between here and there and start getting rid of the anxiety. Because the thief is not the lack of the thing that's coming. The thief is the anxiety caused by fear and uncertainty of absence. And God is trying to say, listen, walking in the Spirit, walking in faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So you have to believe, you have to be assured of something that's not there. But what if I'm not? Repent. Repent. C confess your sin before the Lord. I don't believe. An unbelieving heart is the, one of the big problems that we have. But because we're Christians, we don't want to look unbelieving, so we say all the right things and do all the right things and lie to ourselves. And that's not the journey to true faith. The journey to true faith is, God, I don't believe. Help thou my unbelief. Honesty that comes through the manifestation of truth. Is there anxiety, fear in your life? Oh, I'm not sure if we're going to make it financially. I'm 54 now. I've had a lot of trials over the last few years. If I could only have been assured that I would be in this moment, I wouldn't have had to worry all along. I'm still alive. Food still came. I didn't die. What a waste of a lifetime 
spending it on anxiety and fear. The Lord has been trying to deal with me in smaller ways, not in this big way. This is a, this is a very cool story. But I remember, Wendy will tell you, I, I misplaced things a lot. Uh, and um, thankfully, my wife knows where everything is. But I remember um, a couple of years ago, I started misplacing things. And, uh, and the Lord started saying to me, it's not lost. I started hearing a witness in my spirit that is not lost. But, uh, you know, and it was like, yeah, but I, I am not at rest yet. I couldn't rest until I found it. Then I would find it, and I thought, I should have rested. You hear what I'm saying? And so, so what happens, I, it happened again. Lost my wallet. This time it was like, you know, all day. And I'm looking, and I'm uh, finally, oh, I should pray. And so I prayed, and I felt the witness of my spirit. It's not lost. Don't worry about it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do that thing. I'm not going to not worry. And I only partially worried. So when I finally found, I thought, I thought, hey, that's so cool. I could have gone with that in a bigger way than I did, but at least I went with it more than I did last time. That's improvement. Okay. Uh, I didn't feel bad, you know, that I didn't, ah, what a, I'm such a loser. Uh, we don't go there. You know, that's not automatic, right? That's another spirit that you come under, which keeps you from ever looking at yourself honestly. So I thought, man, this is, this is really good. So I don't want to lose anything because sometimes, you know, uh, like if I misplace my passport and I'm on my way to the airport, that's kind of panicky. But what I'm starting to realize is that there's a level of rest I can have the more I am assured of, A, the witness is speaking to me and that witness is sure. So the first thing, well, how do I do that? First of all, you've got to start hearing from the Lord. Do you know what it means to hear from the Lord? Do you know what it means for God to whisper to you, your husband's going to be all right? That bump on his toe, it's a callus. Living out of every word that proceeds from his mouth is a faith journey. And it causes you to shift away from the way the enemy warps the information to information that is sure. You have a spirit. Your spirit witnesses to you constantly. You are, as a son of God, meant to be led by the spirit of God. That's what defines you as a son of God. And so what God's trying to say is, hey, Andrea, can you live in the peace as though this is found and though it's not found? Just the other day, uh, I heard this report about some catastrophic Armageddon-type experience. I was like, oh, no. But then I thought, oh, well, because God has always supplied. You're here right now in this moment. That means all the threats thus far in your life had no ability to do anything to you. Live in that. Live in the assurance. Live in the faith. Live in the witness. What is the witness of the Spirit? Is it say, this too shall pass? Yeah, well, you know, I'm having this trouble with my son and he's rebelling and, you know, 
Yeah, there's things you need to do, but this too shall pass. When you hear that from the Lord, then you start to stand in faith. Why? Because the alternative is to live being led by the spirit of fear. And the sons of God are not defined as those who are led by the spirit of fear. This is not a side note. This is really, really cool. And I love it that the Lord did this with Andrea because I believe she's one of those prophetic voices that speak to what God wants to do collectively in our midst. So, let me quickly summarize. Start hearing from the Lord. Start, ah, I'm not sure if it's the Lord. Well, then you need to develop the sound of your spirit. Well, how do I do that? Kind of doing everything I tell you every week. The same thing over and over. Pray in tongues, get into the spirit. You know, quiet these other voices, awaken this voice. The reason you pray in the tongues, the reason you worship, the reason we do these spiritual disciplines is to awaken your spirit so that you can be assured that the sounds that are there, that are live, are real, and you don't have to go with the other ones. So you can't do this, you can't hear the Lord and be assured of that until you're sure that you can distinguish between the voices. So develop your spirit. When you're, you know... When your bicep is so small you can't distinguish it from the bone in your, in your arm, the answer is get it, make it bigger. Exercise that muscle. Eventually it's going to get big enough you can feel the difference between it and your skin, it and the bone, it and your shirt. It makes sense? Develop your spirit. And that's the first step. And then God will begin to speak to you through your spirit. And he's going to call you to live by that in increasing ways. Rest in that. Be at peace with that. Well, that's hard to do. Well, you've never had to do it the way Abraham. Abraham had to do that for 25 years. He had to believe that something was done already. He had a, a generation, he had a son, even past the point where he could physically bear children anymore. He had to continue to believe. I mean, at what point does he say, well, this doesn't even make sense anymore because physically I can't even have a child. And God said, listen, can you just live in the peace of the promise? That's what we're doing. That's all of our journey. And uh, the power and peace, everything that's accessed is accessed through that faith. So this is not for just me and Rebecca. It's for all of us. Isn't that cool? Hallelujah. Well, whether you know it or not, you've gotten like eight sermons this morning. Four of them during the worship, one from Andrea, one from me, two from me, one from Ben while he was singing. Knowledge is going out all the time, and your spirit can be catching so many different levels of what the Lord is speaking to us. And, uh, and so uh, keep these words today. Keep them. Hold on to them. And begin to live in the light of them. Because there's freedom on the other side of this for each of us. Amen.